Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. But I wanna take a few minutes today and I wanna just sort of put a bow on our Family Matters series and ask the question, what are the traits of the family of God? How many know that every family has some characteristics, some things that, ah, I know whose son you are. I know whose daughter you are. I used to get that a lot as a kid, uh, especially like in the church circles that I ran in. If I was at a church in Nova Scotia, they'd say, ah, there goes an Ingersoll. We just have a brand, you know? There's just a, there's a way about us and a look. There's all kinds of things that tie us together as families. You can spot them. We put these, these pictures online during the promo for Family Matters. And even with this mishmash, you can tell who these families are. Anybody got a guess on who this is over here? This is Pastor Pete Stubbs' eyes and the rest of his family spliced in there. Can anybody recognize this group right here? Ah, that's the Brewers. You heard it, yeah. Can anybody recognize number three? Yeah, that's, that's my, 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 crew, my crew. We've got a bit of a brand. But you can tell... A family, they, they bear similarities oftentimes. Many times it's genealogical primarily. Has anybody seen Tiger and Charlie Woods side by side, like videos of them? It's unbelievable. Like his son has the same golf swing, the same mannerisms, the same attitude. And my, it's crazy to see how like just the genetics got passed on to the next generation. You can tell a family, whether it's genetic or maybe it's vocational, maybe it's vocabulary, maybe it's just the way that you talk. How many of you know in families, you can spot character traits that are congruent? Is, am I right on that premise? Even families that the biology is different because you have adopted kids, there's still a culture that is coherent through the family. And so I want to I end our time today talking really quickly about what are the traits that tie us together as the family of God. Because here's what it's not. It's not our DNA. It's not genealogical. It's not ethnic. It's not our skin color. It's not where we came from. Those things are not what tie us together as the family of God. So I want to look at this one passage of Scripture and answer this question really quickly. I'm, I'm going to be very fast today. But what are the family traits of the people of God? What are the characteristics that define us and that should be congruent in all of us if we belong to Jesus? And I want to look at one really interesting passage of Scripture about a man whose whole family jumps in and signs up to be in family on Team Jesus. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can keep it open. We're just going to look at this one text today. i got a couple others I'll jump to, but this is really where we're going to hang out. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in a town called Philippi, and they get arrested because Paul ruined a guy's business. What had happened was a man had a slave who had a demon, and she was able to tell things that were happening in the future. But once Paul and Silas showed up, this demon started to react, and so Paul got so fed up, he cast the demon out of the girl, and her owners decided that's not good for business. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and threw them in prison. They beat them within an inch of their life and then threw them in prison. And this is where we pick up. It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. What do you do after you get flogged and you're chained in the dark? Well, sing hymns, obviously. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake 
that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and once at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. What a beautiful picture of the power of God, eh? Eh? I took some Robacs before this service, so if you see some like Biden moments, that's, that's I get it, okay? That have, anyway. <laughs> that's funny because it's true. Uh, <clears throat> The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors had opened, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, you might think that's a rash reaction, but for this jailer, who would have been a Roman, a Roman and probably a former Roman soldier, in fact, the, the punishment for losing all the prisoners is your own death. And so he's freaking out. He's about to take his own life, but Paul shouts out to him. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must we do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and and washed their wounds. Then immediately... He and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What an awesome story. I want to just pull out three quick observations about what happened in the jailer's life that are going to be character traits that go on with him as he and his family now endeavor to live life as Christians. And we want to look at these traits and apply them to our own life. I got three of them. If you're, notes, if you're a note taker, take these down. Here's the first observation I want you to understand. What marks us as believers. First and foremost, the family of God are a people marked by a changed set of beliefs. Our belief system is now different than it was before. Amen? You now have a whole new worldview. We are people who are marked by the word of God, by the good news about Jesus, by the Holy Scriptures. We have a worldview that is a Christian, Jesus-centered worldview. We are shaped and we live by his word. When you became a Christian, you were purchased at a price, but not only that, you obtain in that a certain set of beliefs and convictions. To be a Christian is not just to believe that Jesus is real, but it is to believe further that Jesus is Lord. Did you notice what happened in the text? The the jailer falls at Paul and Silas' feet and says, what must I do to be saved? And notice the jailer does not say, well, you need to go from here on out and be a really good person. He doesn't say you have to say 10 Hail Marys and do six push-ups. He doesn't say you need to go and buy people gifts like Scrooge on Christmas Day and just turn, turn this ship around. That's not what he says. What did he say? You believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It is to adopt a whole worldview. And it is to believe that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Or and that, that would be the challenge to the Roman soldier. You see, the Romans didn't care what God you worshipped as long as he came under Caesar. And so that's why in this case, he would have had, uh, they were in Greece, so the Greek pantheon was probably worshipped at that time, was worshipped at that time. But look at the challenge that Paul gives him. Here's what you have to do, jailer. 
believe that Jesus is Lord. And that belief is going to set your whole paradigm for your life. This is what happened for the jailer. He adopted a whole new worldview. He swapped out his old belief system, all the old gods that he worshiped, Caesar included, and now he is under the conviction that Jesus is Lord and I'm going to set my expectation and my understanding under that reality. Does that make sense to you? A lot of the time in our Christian lives, and in a lot of cases, we treat our faith like an application you put on your phone. How many know you got an app, you want to you get in shape, so you put a diet app on your phone, and it's there when you need it. It's there when you want to use it. And a lot of the time, we approach our faith that way. That's like, I believe in Jesus, and I want to get some good stuff from him. But here's what you need to hear today. To be a Christian is not about putting an application on your phone. To be a Christian is adopting a whole new operating software. It's, it's the operating system that you and I live with. Anybody, I feel like I'm missing. There's not enough nerds in the room. Does that make sense? Like, it's not an app on your phone. It's the whole system that you are operating your life by. This is ultimately what's going on. Paul said in another, in another uh, letter to the Romans, maybe he was thinking about this jailer, but he described what the Christian life is to look like. He said, look, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now watch this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, say it with me, the renewing of your mind. Uh, another translation, New Living Translation says, be transformed by changing the way you think. So the patterns of how we think begin to change and they become formed by the word of God. It becomes the lens and the language through which we interpret everything. Does that make sense? And, and quite literally, I don't think Paul knew about neuropathways at that point. However, what we're invited to is to actually retrain how we think. I don't, I don't have a degree to get into the science of that, but I know for sure you can change your neural pathways if you change the patterns of thinking. Is that correct? Can anybody smarter than me back me up? Here's just a chance for you to raise your hand and pretend you're smarter than me. You can, you can do that. You might be today. Anyway. But Paul's inviting us to change how we think, new patterns of thinking. And, and this is true for our families. If you're a Christian and your fam you want to raise your family in, in the, Christian, the Christian values to be a Christian family, it's shaped by the word of God. And so, so a couple ideas of what that will look like in your life. First, it's to operate with the understanding that Jesus or the word of God is the news we believe about the story we're in. That's the most important thing. What do you believe to be true about everything? What do you believe to be true about the story that you live in? Here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that God created everything. Amen? This is no mistake. This didn't just happen. There is a designer behind it all. And then we also believe that because of sin and separation from God, destruction and the life that we need and the order that only comes from God was co-opted. And so destruction and sin and death entered the picture. We believe that to be true. And to this day, we still see the effects of sin and death. 
But we also believe that God had a plan from before the foundations of the world to win the hearts and minds of his children through a redemption plan that he would send his son in the flesh to die in our place on a cross to bring reconciliation to make us right with God. Can I get an amen? And that's what Jesus did for us. That's the good news. That's the word of God. That's the gospel. I can picture Paul and Silas telling the, the, prison, the Roman prison guard that, look, Jesus is Lord and he came and he died to deal with the problem of sin. You're trying to deal with the problem of sin with these false gods and these shrines and Caesar. They aren't going to do it. Jesus is Lord and if you trust him, you'll live. And then we also believe that not just live like right now a better, more fulfilled life, but we believe that Jesus didn't just die and rise again, but he's coming again. And we actually know the end of the story. How many of you forget the end of the story a lot of the time in your weekly, like your day-to-day life? The news report will be terrifying and anxiety will arise. You know what anxiety comes from? At least for a Christian, it's when you lose sight of the grand story. You can only get so nervous if you know how the story ends. Can I get an amen? I remind somebody today. Like, I know how this ends. Jesus is coming back and he is going to do away with all mourning, crying, sorrow, sickness, death, back pain, relationship pain, political pain, all of it. He's going to get rid of it and he's going to restore all things. Well, that's a very big claim that should affect how you live your life if you believe it. Am I right? And so it becomes the framework in which we live, move, and operate. Not just that, but he becomes our wisdom and revelation day to day. The Bible says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That he actually shows us how to navigate the minefield that is the 21st century. How many of you just wonder, like, I don't know what to believe half the time. I don't know whether to go this way or that way, side with these people or those people. The Bible and God's word gives us the, the way through. Also, Jesus, the word, forms our vision and values. It it informs us as to what we hold as most important. And it gives us our opinion and perspective. Uh, I used an analogy before one time when we were preaching through the book of Revelation. It's like putting on gospel glasses. And Jesus becomes the lens through which I see and interpret everything. So fundamentally, first and foremost, if you are part of the family of faith, you are a person who just sees the world differently. You see it through the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? I love, how, I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said it like this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's just, it just, yeah, yeah. It just illuminates everything. And how many of you have noticed, maybe you're new to following Jesus in the last couple of years, but you see how your perspective is being shaped by him. You're getting the mind of Christ. And you're starting to see things with gospel lenses. That's the invitation. Okay, well, a couple more things, real quick. Let's look back at our passage, Acts 16. So it says that at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. So he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole household. And says at that very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Can you imagine that night? All the kids are sleeping. Dad, who's working the night shift, comes home at 3 a.m. and says, kids, get up. You're getting baptized. It's awesome. But I want you to notice something here. They're actually, like the the jailer is already like exemplifying the fact that his beliefs are now affecting his behaviors. 
That it's going not just from believing something to be true, but there's action with it. It's not just a sense of how he thinks, but it's a new way of being. This is, in effect, what we're demonstrating with baptism. I think it's awesome that the baptism happens because baptism is truly a picture of what the Christian life is all about. It's not just a picture of what Jesus did for us in the death and resurrection, but it's a picture of our association, our being entering into that communion of the saints and being entered into a new life with Jesus. Last night, I asked my son, Alex, who's going to get baptized here in this service. Uh, he's eight years old. And I asked him, I said, son, do you know? Save your applause. We'll do it in a few minutes. I said, son, do you know why you're being baptized? And he said, yes, it's because I want to tell everybody that I'm following Jesus forever. I said, yes, that's right. I'm going to cry. Stop. Uh, but then I said, I said, bud, do you know what, I said, do you know what symbolism is? And he goes, no. I go, well, it's it's a picture of something else. And so I said to him, when you're baptized, when you go under the water, it's a picture of your old life being buried. It's a death to who you were, and it's being raised up just like Jesus and in Jesus into a whole new you, that you are a new creation with a new identity, the true you, and you are the you that God had in mind in the first place. But it is that picture of the old is gone and the new has come and I am now a new creation and I am soaked in the grace of Jesus and I am living my life identifying with him. We live in a time where identity is a big conversation and people form their identity on their feelings or on their opinions or on the opinions of their friends. But hear me, our, our identity as Christians is formed in Christ. That is our identity. So second thing, write this down. If a family of God are a people marked by a changed sense of identity. We are people of the way. We walk in the way of Jesus. We live and look like Jesus. We, that, that's part of the markers of our family. We operate like him. It's who we are. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything about your life that if someone were to follow you, if you were on a reality show and there was a camera following you all week, would people start to put together, ah, that person's a follower of Jesus? Like, what is it about your life that starts to bear the resemblance of the Father? Because as Christians, that's ultimately what we're invited to do. If you are a new creation and you are a child of God, how many of you know kids start looking like their dads and their moms? They can't even help it. That's what happens with us as believers. That we, born again, we start to bear the image of the Father. Has anybody noticed that Jesus has the power to change you? Can anybody at least testify in this room, maybe online, that, hey, he, he's changing me. I'm not a finished product, but I'm not the same as I was. Yeah, he does that. He's, he's forming you into his likeness. And, and hear this. This is one of the wildest claims in the whole scripture. It says in Ephesians that God wants to empty you out in such a way that he can fill you with all the fullness of God. Like he wants to make us completely like Jesus. Like full of hope, full of peace, full of joy, full of self-control, full of perseverance. All the things that you can't manufacture. He wants to give it to us and fill us with it. And so the point is this, though. Our identity has to be changed. I, I felt uh, convicted earlier this week about that. It's like, I wonder if people, you know, at the gym, if they can put together that I'm a Christian, by the way, I, I am here. And I felt the Lord kind of convict me and say, yeah, you need to, like, tell your face that you have the joy of the Lord sometimes. <laughs> Anybody else have rest RBF? <laughs> the Lord said, you need a new RBF. 
Resting blessed face. You need that. Just put the joy of the Lord on. Change your countenance. That's what we're after here. But it's a, it's a change of identity. And I want, you, I want to show you back in Romans 12. We've got five more minutes? Okay, we're good. We're, we're, we're good. We're almost done. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so in view of something you believe, right, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So your belief should result in response. That if you believe Jesus is, is true, who he says he is, and he is Lord, and he did give everything for you, you should have a proportionate response. Offer your whole self as a living sacrifice. Then look what he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So there's your, your activity, your actions, your being, your doing, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you see how your beliefs, your faith, if it's real, will be interpreted into works, correct? That's why James wrote a whole letter about it. Read the book of James. He says, your faith without works, if you say you have faith, but there's no accompanying behaviors, you don't have real faith. It says, even the demons believe Jesus in Jesus. They just don't serve him. The true child of God believes Jesus is who he says he is, and our behaviors start to be adopted in his ways. And this is one of the things that needs to mark you as a Christian. How will people know you are a follower of Jesus. Well, part of it is just by the strange behavior I have. I don't just believe it is strange in our world. You're actually, it says in 1 Peter, you're supposed to be aliens. Take me to your leader. Not that kind. <laughs> you're supposed to be, you're supposed to look like someone that's not from around here. Like, oh, like we have, I love how many people are moving to New Brunswick in the Maritimes from all over the world. Look, we can tell when you're new. I can tell you're from Ontario. It's fine. We're glad you're here. Truly are. But you know how when someone from some, some other place moves in with you, there's, there's, a, oh, there's a different quality to your life. As Christians, hear me, and I'm going to move on. As Christians, there needs to be certain qualities of our lives that point back to heaven, points back to the dominion of the Lord Jesus. It points back to his words and his ways that your life should be a testimony. And that's ultimately what happens. And it's not just in your being, but it's in your actual works, your vocation. Here's the last point. So it says the jailer took them to his home, washed their wounds. I think that's so cool. He's already doing the stuff that is near and dear to the heart of God. Now watch this. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I love this picture because you see this jailer already bearing the image of the Father. If you know your Bible, how many of you know that this whole, uh, this should set off some signals on your dashboard. He set a meal before them. Where have I seen that before? Well, Jesus did that, didn't he? And all through the Old Testament, even through the points in the prophets and even the time in Genesis, there's moments where God shows that this is a picture of what I'm doing on the earth. I'm inviting people to the table to come and receive food that doesn't perish, food that brings ultimate and lasting fulfillment. And God has been setting that table for us. And here's the cool thing. He invites you and I to the table, not just to be recipients of the grace of God, but get this, participants in the grace of God. That we aren't just blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing. And this guy's already doing it. Like, think about it. Just hours before, those same hands that were washing the wounds of Paul cuffed him, put him behind bars and locked him up. 
Those same hands, that jailer had such a profound transformation. You're seeing the shift. You're seeing the switch. That same guy who just hours before was going to take his own life has now entered into a whole new life. He's filled with joy. And this is ultimately what we're invited to. It's a change of vocation. It's a change of vocation. We're people of the word, we're people of the way, and we're people of the work, the work of God. God gave us not just an invitation, but he called us to participation in what he's doing in the world. You and I, as Christians, if we go to the table and we receive the grace of God, we are on the hook to invite others to come too. It's not just the pastor's job. You say, well, I just accepted Jesus yesterday. Welcome to the team. You're on board. You're on the team. You're enlisted. You are now part of God's agency in this world. Look how Paul says it. I love this. one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see that? So he invites us to receive and then invites us to go and find more to come and receive. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are therefore, say it with me, Christ's ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's a representative. Now, here's a fun news flash for you too. Uh, immediately when you hear that, you're like, God picked a bad ambassador. Like, is there not a part of you that's just like, I'm not very good at representing Christ. God knows who he called, and he knows who you are. And you know what's amazing about God's design for reaching people? He loves to flex through, through your flaws. And he loves to be glorified through your brokenness. He'll actually use the things that at one point you were ashamed of now as a testimony to his goodness. That's good news. Like he will take old rags and he will make them new again. And he loves to, it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Like God's glory just punches through the little broken cracks in us. I love that. We are ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. People should know that Jesus is real because when they look at you, they see, ah, there's something different about them. There's a grace on them. There's some, some other quality. They're not from around here. There's some other quality to them. Ah, you must be one of those, uh, you must be one of those Jesus people. That's what God's after. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll, I'll leave you with this story. Uh, I, I mentioned my, the home that we bought uh, a few years ago. Before we moved in, though, I'm going to stand up, camera guy. Before we moved in, uh, I had some of my friends, prayer buddies, Anthony and Pastor Dan, uh, my buddy Kirk, Shola, Karipe come, and we just prayed through the home before we moved my stuff in. I, I recommend doing that. How many of you know that God gave us dominion? It says, every place you put your foot, I'll give to you. And so just take it in authority. And so we, before we moved in, we just prayed through our home. I'll never forget a couple of things that happened in that prayer time. First, there was this sense when we were gathered in the kitchen area, we were praying, there was just this sense of just this presence of God just came. My, my buddy Kirk goes, he's here. I was like, yeah, he is. And then as we're praying, uh, Shola, who's just a godly like, prayer warrior, he prayed this, this statement that I'll never forget. He said, may this whole neighborhood be blessed 
because there is a man of God who lives here. And he's not just referring to the fact that I'm a preacher, a man of the cloth. I'm a child of God, a son of God, and you are too. May this neighborhood be blessed because there is a child of God that lives on this corner. May this, may this community be blessed because there are men and women of God who live here. May that school next door be blessed because there are some children of God that attend there and that teach there. May the KV High School be blessed because there's some teachers of God that teach there. That's God's design. It's a high call. But it is the call. It says in Romans 8, that creation groans that the sons of God would be revealed. God's design is for you and I to step up and rise up and be seen as Christ's ones on the earth in this time and in this place that he chose us to live. Amen? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for us. So simple challenge to you, my brothers and sisters. Uh, every so often, just stay with me one more second. We'll invite the kids in in a second. Every so often as a kid, my dad would have to sit me down and remind me who we are as Ingersolls. Sometimes I was doing things that were unbecoming of an Ingersoll. And sometimes as Christians, we do things that are unbecoming of who we are as Christians. But here's the thing. I am Christian by birth. I've been born again. I didn't earn it in the first place. And so the call God is giving each one of us is to walk in the way. If we have failed, remember that there is plenty of grace for us, that God is not in the business of kicking his kids out, but that we are called to walk in the way, to believe in the word, and to do the works of God on the earth. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this family that you have created. And Lord, thank you for calling us to your table. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your grace live with our seat at the table firmly fixed and yet also as, as inviters, as ambassadors for people to come and experience the good news about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace uh, to realize where we are, wherever we are, we are missionaries and ambassadors. May our, our workplace be blessed because there's a child of God who works there. May this neighborhood be blessed because there's a man of God who lives there. Lord, we hear your word. We hear the challenge. Would you help us rise to it? We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's sons and daughters said, amen, amen. amen.